You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for February 14th, 2024, Ash Wednesday. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Peter Walsh. It's based on Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 and 16 through 21. As so many of you know, recently I was on sabbatical, and part of that sabbatical, I was in India. And while I was in India, I went to Rishikesh, and Rishikesh is uh, known for many things. Among those things that it is known for uh, are the, the, the Ganga, or the Ganges River that flows through it, the holy river of the Hindu people. It's famous for being the world capital of yoga, and it's famous for being the epicenter of transcendental meditation in the 1960s, this happening at a place that the West calls the Beatles Ashram, though it is not really the Beatles Ashram. Uh, I was with uh, three other companions and we went to the ashram and the ashram sits up on the side of a, of a mountain uh, along the edge of the Ganges. And as we walked out, we worked our way down the mountainside and we joined a group of people on a paved sidewalk or a paved walkway on the edge of the river, just above the river. Uh, And we chatted as we walked, and uh, we were walking uh, with a group, and we we flowed in with a much larger group of people uh, to go over the river on a walking bridge, a bridge that had walking in the center and on the sides, places for motorbikes. And the crowd uh, pushed onto the bridge in such a way that it was not possible to chat anymore. We just were about the business of walking in a crowd. And as we were walking along, we came over the arc arc of the bridge and down toward the other bank. And I looked down and I saw a dead man. Uh, He was lying on a a wooden stretcher uh, that had been brought in and placed on a pile of wood with a bunch of men uh, walking behind the stretcher. And I watched the, the men gather around this older man and they began to take off his shirt. And they did it with, uh, in very loving and matter-of-fact way. And as you know, dead bodies are awkward because they are uh, dead weight. And they took the man's shirt off and the person who seemed to be in charge handed it behind him and it worked its way out to one of the men at the edge and he went over uh, to the river side and he took the shirt and he balled it up and he threw it into the river and I remember looking at the shirt in the river and thinking about the shirt and it sort of sat there in the shallows for a little while until the current of the river began to take it away. And after the man's shirt was removed, uh, the man who seemed to be in charge took a a large jar that was the color of Gatorade, orange Gatorade. Uh, And I thought maybe, all I could think of was the powder that Gatorade comes in if you're having a large jug of this. And he put his hand in the jar and he began to smear something on the man's shoulders and on up around his face and uh, around his torso. And then another one of the men joined in and and grabbed these handsfuls of this substance that looked kind of like milky Vaseline. 
and they rubbed the rest of his body with this. I was standing next to my friend Chris, and I was not clear where Chris's wife, uh, Jackie, was, who was also walking with another friend. And we didn't talk, and we just watched them paste this man. And I still, at this point, was not clear what was happening here. And uh, after they had uh, completed the pasting, a few of the other men walked over with logs. And the logs are about six feet long and about five inches in diameter. And the bark has been shaved off of them. And they began to come around the fire. And my friend Chris turned to me and he said, funeral pyre. And I thought, ah. And then he turned to me and he said, it's considered men's work, family business. And the men gathered around, began to build what looked like a log cabin around the dead man. And I watched very closely through the wire mesh as they covered over his face with the logs. And they built it up into this, what looked like a little house. And then the man who seemed to be in charge with the Gatorade-like container started to smear the Vaseline-like substance on the wood. And while he was doing that, one of the other men took one of the poles and lit the end of the pole on fire. It was a torch. And he brought the torch over to the edge of the wood and they all gathered together, a, a rectangle around the rectangle. And uh, it's clear that they were saying some prayers because you could see their body begin to roll down, uh, to bow their heads in prayer. And then they circled or <laughs> rectangled uh, the rectangular structure once or twice. And then the person who was holding the torch handed it to the, the, the man who seemed to be in charge. And he lit the wood on fire. He, he torched it. And the fire took hold quite quickly. And as it took hold, uh, large billows of gray smoke rose right up right through us. I mean, we were, we were essentially nearly over the top of the pyre. And while the smoke was billowing up, uh, I was thinking about uh, the United States and how many regulations there are about cremation. In the United States, they, in the state of Connecticut, they actually changed recently how hot the fire has to be so that the remains, the human remains are so incinerated that they do not end up as ash in the air and the people do not smell the burning of dead bodies and, and uh, crematoriums have smokestacks to make sure that these remains don't land on people's homes. But there in India, they just make a fire with a bunch of guys gathered around it. And as we were standing there, I remember thinking that the dead man's body was being incinerated and we were breathing it in and as we were standing there, uh, uh, out of my peripheral vision, uh, a group of, I don't know, maybe five kids 
who uh, would probably be somewhere around ninth grade in the United States, uh, walked up to us and a kid was maybe uh, two and a half inches from my face and he was taunting me about, oh, oh, dead man, dead body, oh. And I just looked through him like he didn't exist because he was the least of my issues. Uh, and I thought, oh, wow, it's incredible. I could have gone to high school with this kid. <laughs> you know, uh, 40 years earlier in upstate New York, I thought, oh, wow, ninth graders are the same the world over. And uh, I stood there and watched the flames burn. And as the flames were burning, uh, uh, I realized, as Chris pointed out to me, there were two other smoldering funeral pyres farther, far, far, farther up the spate of the beach. And these fires had burnt down to mostly ashes, and the men were standing around the ashes. One guy smoking a cigarette and two other guys joking uh, as they watched the, the leftover smolderness of their loved one's funeral pyre. And then, uh, as the fire started to burn down, we joined the flow of humanity again and came to the other side of the bridge and got in a tuk-tuk, which is one of those three-wheeled vehicles. And we joined, uh, took a left uh, into the main street of Rishikesh, which is utter mayhem and uh, very crowded and very noisy. And I sat in the back and I was very quiet uh, in the midst of all the noise. And I was thinking and pondering. And of course, I was uh, thinking of my father's phrase, uh, here today, gone tomorrow. And I was looking at my own death and I could see very, very clearly in my mind's eye that my kids would like to have the death of their dad kept in the family business and how much they would like to prepare my body for death and to light it on fire and to stand back and say a prayer. And while I was on the bridge, I was very aware that I was having a, a metanoia moment. Uh, metanoia is the Greek word in the New Testament that is uh, translated as repentance, but it really means a conversion of heart, change of life. And uh, as I was looking at my own death, I felt a tremendous conversion and a tremendous awakening to my own life and to life itself. And in the face of death, I, I felt a great desire to choose life and not to, an urgent desire to choose life and not to waste any time and to get my, my priorities clarified so I didn't waste any time because we're all gonna be dead. It was very clear. And that's what you're all doing here today. It's what Ash Wednesday is about. Uh, Ash Wednesday is the, a metanoia moment. It's intended to be a conversion of heart in the face of our own death. It's meant to be an awakening to life in the face of our own death. But not just life, like my life or your life, but life with a capital L. 
for uh, that's what the being of God is. It is life with a capital L. And this is something that comes through in the Gospel according to John, which is sometimes known as the Gospel of Life. You may remember uh, in the I am statements of Jesus, he says more than once, I am life. And he is talking about divine life. But today on Ash Wednesday, Ash Wednesday is a day of dust and ashes. And the dust and ashes represent mortality and repentance. They represent mortality and metanoia. Uh, they represent mortality and a change of heart. In a few moments, you're all about to receive the imposition of ashes on your forehead uh, with the injunction to remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. Uh, it's an extraordinary thing that Ash Wednesday could be so popular uh, right after uh, Christmas and Easter. It's very possible that Ash Wednesday is the most popular devotional day in the Christian calendar. I spent this morning, uh, early in the morning at the train and uh, watching people go to work and was dumbfounded as I am every year by how people want to come and bow their head before me and how they close their eyes and come into their selves and wait to hear those words, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. Our mortality and our metanoia are literally smushed on our forehead in the form of a cross in the hope that they will reach our heart. For it is true that we are all going to die. And for those of us who are going to be cremated, we will literally turn into ash. And for those of us who are going to be buried in a casket, we will become dust. And the line that you are dust and to dust you shall return comes right in chapter 3 in the book of Genesis in the story, the creation story of Adam and Eve. And after the fall, God says to Adam as he's being launched from the garden to a life of toil and mortality and death, he says, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. And this adage is even all the more true when you understand that the word Adam, the name that we take as Adam, is really the Greek word for earth being, being of the earth. And you may remember that Adam is formed from the dust and God breathes into Adam's nose the breath of life. And what the story is about, biblically speaking, is that we are all Adam. We are all earth beings. And if you read the amazing and super cool science about the molecules that make up our bodies, we learn the truth of the biblical witness that we are literally created of the energies and molecules of the earth. And after we die, they return to the same universe. What remains are dust and ashes. And so today we find that the dust and ashes represent not only our mortality and our repentance and our metanoia, we see that in the book of Job, Job says when he sees God right at the end, he says, he's, he says oh my God, I, de I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. In other words, I, I convert 
to you in dust and ashes. And in the book of Daniel, Daniel's interceding for his people and to do that, he puts on sackcloth and ashes and the same thing in Maccabees and Easter, they sprinkle their heads with ashes in order to outwardly show the interior conversion of their heart toward the divine. And so today, as our mortality and our metanoia is smashed on our forehead, it is really there to awaken us to life. But not just the gift of the life that we have, but life with a capital L. Because if you really want to be alive, you live the life that you have in communion with the capital L life, the divine life that is and will beyond uh, outlive us and will live forever. And the place where we will have our life is in that life. And oftentimes it lent, you know, people are, what should I give up? I'll give up chocolate, which is particularly difficult to do on Valentine's Day. Uh, or I'll, I'll, I'll do something nice for somebody, which is also really great. We should do that all the time. But I think what the liturgy is saying is, has nothing to do with chocolate at all. It has nothing to do with that. It doesn't have anything to do with doing something nice for somebody. What it's about is to take a look at your life for 40 straight days and look at it through the lens of your death and then to choose life. Choose life, choose life with a capital L. Choose to live your life in communion with the divine. Don't start to meditate because it's a discipline. Meditate because you have a desire to live a life that comes when you have a deeper communion. Don't say more prayers because you think God is going to like it. God doesn't give a hoot about that sort of thing. Pray because it will give you life. And if you go out to help somebody, do it because it will give you life. Because when we do those disciplines, if we do it just a discipline, it's going to come and go. Nobody makes their, and I won't say nobody, very few people make it for 40 days through their discipline, unless it is rooted in their desire. And what this is all about is our desire to have communion with divine life. You can find more sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanon.org.